The Lord. Thanks be to God. There we are, James 5. Well, keep that open. Uh, It'd be good to just uh, be able to refer to those verses in a moment. Great to be back, by the way. Wonderful to be back here. The church looks so pretty. It looks really great. It's lovely. It's lovely um, Christmas time. Lovely time of Advent. And Advent, I'm sure you know, because I'm sure Tom's told you, and maybe other preachers have said as much, that it's, it's, it's this time of the year when we think particularly about Jesus second coming as well as his first coming. That's what James has in mind when he's talking about the coming of the Lord. Of course, he's writing after Jesus first coming to Bethlehem, and now he's expecting us to be patient in the face of his second coming. Let's just say, though, his second coming, all three of the the creeds that the Church of England uh, has at its as its kind of constitutional creeds, I suppose, creeds we look to in the Anglican Church mention and affirm this second coming of Jesus. This is on, we're on primary theological ground here. I hope we realise that. Let me just give you those words. Nicene Creed. Jesus, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will know no end. The Apostles' Creed. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. And then the Athanasian Creed. Jesus ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. At whose coming all men shall rise again with their bodies and give account for their works. So there you have it. There's no discussion amongst the creeds of the church. Jesus is coming back and the church Catholic, the church for all time and in all the world, has confessed that. That is what we're thinking about. That is what James is thinking about when he thinks about the Lord's return. And he has patience in mind. So we're going to explore that theme, patience, for a few moments tonight. Now, it's difficult in many ways, isn't it, to be patient. Everything about our world now helps us to be impatient. Almost everything. So I put a little list on my page here. Uh, Instant messaging. Isn't that incredible? You can message or video call or call someone anywhere in the world instantaneously. We used to have to use letters. In fact, I believe now youngsters, let's say, I know, under 20s, under 30s, they don't really use email anymore. Do you know this? No one really, certainly my children, teenagers, they're not even using email because it's too slow, right? You don't open emails. I want an instant message that pops up on my phone and gives my little pocket a wobble and a bing goes off instantly. Contacting people, instant messaging, instant music, instant film, instant TV, on demand, straight to our front room. Instant cash, used to have to write checks, used to take how many days, like five days to to cash a check. Now you just instantly transfer money to people. Um, Instant Christmas trees. So you've got a Christmas tree there. I thought about this with my 9am congregation this morning. If you wanted a Christmas tree, if you decided this morning, I'd quite like a Christmas tree. And you grew one from scratch, it would take you between six to ten years to grow something that size. Whereas you can, of course, just drive up the road, A127, 
pay you 50 quid. Choose, choose a nice bushy one. You, don't, you know, if you, if you grew one in your garden, you wouldn't have any choice whether it was bushy. You get a choice, you go and help yourself. Um, instant food, so you can pretty much have any cuisine delivered to your door within an hour. It's wonderful, isn't it? You can get next day delivery on almost anything. You just click it. In fact, whenever I see, whenever you're shopping online and you see um, delivery time of sort of five to ten days, what on earth? Who, who even does that anymore? Surely you're not in business. You know, five to ten days. Tomorrow, I need it tomorrow. Why can't you send it tomorrow? So we want, and we one-click everything. I mean, I love, I actually love one-click shopping. It's incredible, isn't it? You just press the button once. And then it arrives. Absolutely astonishing. But James, in his passage, he's encouraging the church, Christian brothers and sisters. No, we're going to need patience. You're going to need to be a patient people. In fact, he has two words. The word patience or perseverance comes up quite a few times. The first word he uses, I think in verses 7, 8, 9, is more like long-suffering. Cultivate long-suffering. And then in verse 11, he uses a really interesting word. Uh, We've translated it perseverance, the NIV. It's more, it's like literally like hyper-standing. Like standing with sort of super strength. Hyper-standing. Standing firm. Persevering, patience, those are the ideas. Long-suffering, hyper-standing. And he mentions it four or five times in the passage. And he points us to a farmer. That's his first go-to in this passage. He's like, right, think about farmer. You know that a farmer has to wait for the autumn and spring rains. If they're going to yield a decent, a valuable crop, he says. If you're going to get something valuable at the end of this process, you're going to need to wait. Don't jump the gun got to wait, wait for the right time. You've got to plant your seed at the right time to catch the rains. The rains will come. You've got to just be patient. If you want something valuable. Now, he could have pointed to any number of examples. In actual fact, I think it's worthwhile thinking about a few examples together. There are me- In fact, anything that's valuable, really valuable, takes patience. Let me give you a few. A family. If you want to put together a family, if you want to grow and build a family, a home, that takes a great deal of patience with one another. Marriage takes patience. You're going to have a marriage that is settled, happy, sustains you. That is going to take real patience. Friendships. The kind of friendships that matter. Not just those sort of fleeting acquaintances. The kind of friendships where you're nourished and sustain the kind of friendships that change you. Those are going to take great patience. 
as you rub up against each other and discover each other's faults and failures. People let you down. In fact, I would say, if we, imagine if we blocked, and we do do this, don't we? If we blocked or unfriended or unfollowed or whatever, uh, someone every time they offended us, you'd soon be a very lonely person. Because most people at some stage will upset you or offend you or give you the cold shoulder or make you feel awkward. So if we went through that process of just blocking and unfriending people anytime they do that to us, we'll be, what we'll end up with is quite a lonely life. Real friendships take time, take patience. Anything valuable. I think we're, we're, we're fairly convinced of that, aren't we? Anything valuable takes patience. James points us to a farmer. We could choose any number of examples. But his, actually in his text, in verse 9, his thoughts turn to the church. Verse 8 and 9, you too, he says, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Verse 9, don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters. Thinking about the church. See, you can't have you can't have one-click farming. You can't have one-click marriage. You can't have one-click friendships, and you can't have one-click church. True, right? You can't do one-click church. Community in God's people also requires great patience. It's easy for me to say this because I'm a visiting preacher. This is my church, so I can, <laughs> I can say. There are occasions, I think, I think, and we do this, and I do this, I think, let's be honest, where we come into church, we come into this community, and we expect um, deep and meaningful relationships a community where I can be myself and be real. A community where I can feel loved and known. A community where I feel seen and heard. A community where I can express myself freely and my gifts and my potentialities. All of those things I, I imagine at church. Church should be the place where all of those things can flourish and I'd like that now, please. Right now. Can I prime it? Can I, can I get that on prime? Can I get that next day delivery, please? No. Quite frankly. There's, there's a, there is a sort of a one-clickness about church, if you think about it. When you come into a church, and I hope this is true of St. Michael's, I'm sure it is of other churches. I hope it is at St. John's. There is a sort of one-clickness about walking into a church. But you, can, you can very quickly feel, ah, oh, what a lovely place. Tremendous, wonderful people, so welcoming. Coffee was excellent. The preacher was fabulous. The worship was lovely. Really felt connected instantly. There is a sort of a, a one-click feel when you first walk into a church. You can get that. But real, real Christian community... That is going to take patience. Because you're going to discover amongst yourselves, amongst ourselves in a church family, it's soon going to get difficult. People are soon going to upset you. It's going to be testing. 
We're going to discover each and every, all of our idiosyncrasies. And that takes patience. And James knows that, which is why he says, look, you don't grumble. Don't grumble amongst each other. Don't do that. And grumbling, of course, comes because I think to myself, well, I'd like those things. I want to feel like I'm a flourishing human being in this community. I want to feel valued and loved. And I can use my gifts here and explore all my talents here and all those sorts of things. I want it now. I want it now. And if I don't get it, I'm going to grumble. I'm going to get very upset if so-and-so gets in my way and doesn't give me that role that I wanted to or whatever. That's when the grumbling comes out. And James like, no, 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 whoa, hang on. Patience, patience. Community, the church, that's going to take patience. And in fact, he goes immediately there. He says, look, Jesus, is, Jesus needs to recognize this in his church. If it's a spirit-filled church and the spirit of God is a spirit of patience, right? The fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. If the Spirit of God is living amongst his people, he should find, Jesus should find this community, the church of Jesus, ought to be a community of patience. So if he doesn't find that, James says, he will judge that. That is not my people. So James is quite serious. Patience. You need patience to build a church. So then, almost... All of the examples of patience I've given so far, I reckon I could persuade almost anyone, anyone, of those kinds of, um, of the value of that kind of patience. I think most people would understand, yeah, it does take patience to build a relationship with a spouse, with a friend, in a community, all of those things. People can see the value. People can see that, let's use the word, utility. It's useful, it would be useful to me to be patient. I can understand being patient will get me a set of relationships, will get me a marriage, will get me a family, will get me a church. Right? I can see the utility of being patient. I, I think most people could be persuaded of that. Which is why James then takes us to a new level of patience in the next verse, and this is a very Christian kind of patience. It's a kind of patience you won't have unless you confess what James is confessing. That Jesus is coming again. Let's have a look. Verse 10. The patience James is really getting to here does require Christian faith. Let's read it. Verse 10. He says, Brothers and sisters... As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, this is next-level patience. Because the kind of patience James has got in mind, really and truly here, and he has banged on about it in his book, if you read the whole, the whole letter, is patience in the face of suffering and potentially unrelenting, unending 
ongoing suffering for which there is no utility. There's no usefulness to it. It's just difficult. It's just painful. And I just have to endure it. That kind of patience requires Christian faith. And he points us to the prophets. So let me just give you a little uh, smorgasbord of the prophets. Just, just, just a few. This is a handful. It's, by the way, this next section's a bit... Um, and I'll, I'll, there's a few children in the room. I'll, I'll ease down a little bit from what happened to some of these prophets. Jeremiah. Here's just a few. Jeremiah chucked into a cistern, left to die. Um, rejected, banned from the temple, despised as a traitor by his own people, and likely stoned. Tradition has him stoned in the end in Egypt, Jeremiah. That was his life. There you go in a nutshell. Rejected, despised, hated, miserable. He was very upset about it. He writes about his, uh, his woes. Chucked in a cistern, left there to die. He was rescued from that system. In the end, taken away, taken to Egypt, executed. Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet who was told at the beginning of his ministry, um, you're going to prophesy to a people who won't listen to you. And he says to the Lord, how long? How long, O Lord? Famously in Isaiah 6. And the, and the Lord basically says, uh, all your life. That was his lot. And in the end, he was, uh, tradition holds that he was executed, and uh, quite graphically, I won't share the details. Um, Ezekiel, exiled in Babylon, did all his ministry away from God's promised land, never, probably never returned to the promised land where he wanted to all his life, never got there, died in exile. Daniel and the lions, you could think. Uh, let me just do one from, uh, from given on come from St. John. St. John, John the Baptist, he's our patron saint down at St. John. So John the Baptist, there he was, the greatest, Jesus called him the greatest of all prophets, uh, wilderness wanderer, locusts and honey, a very, a very, very, well, it was a prophetic, well, it was a sort of a, it was the um, um, Elijah diet, wasn't it? The locusts and honey, not, not particularly nice cuisine for most of his life. Uh, was uh, speaking truth to power, of course, spoke to Herod, told him various things, which meant that he got his head chopped off. There we go, there was his life. Now, there's no utility for that kind of life, you don't, there's no sort of immediate return when you're suffering like that. And yet James is saying that kind of patience, patience when you've received that kind of call, patience when you're going through that kind of suffering. is the patience he has in mind. And it requires a Christian understanding of Jesus' return. You have to. You have to be believing that Jesus will come again. We could call it an Advent patience, an Adventish kind of patience. Only if you believe and know 
that Jesus will return and make all things new, that he will come as judge and vindicate your pain and suffering. Only if you know that Jesus will make all things right and bring about justice can you be patient in the midst of ongoing, endless difficulty and suffering. And finally, he points us to Job as a sort of archetypal example of this, of a man who lived through intense suffering, so much was taken away, but in the end was restored. So it is that in the face of suffering for a Christian today, for anyone going through it, we would know the same God of Job. Though we may suffer, though we may have to be patient relentlessly, the God of Job, who is full of compassion and mercy, who sees the pain, who bottles your tears. I love that in the Psalms. I'm trying to think what it is now. 87, somewhere like that. Kind of collects your... No, it's not. 40, 54. 54. Collects your, your tears in a bottle or on a scroll. He knows that. He knows what you're going through. And he will come, he will come to you like the spring rains, like the autumn rains. He will come. Which is why James at the beginning of his book can say, consider it, astonishing really, consider it pure joy. That's what he says. Pure joy when you suffer many kinds of trials. Let me summarize. James calls us to be an Advent people, a people of patience. There are so many examples we could give, couldn't we, of why patience is a good thing. Even in this life, patience will pay off in all sorts of ways, especially in the church and in our relationships. But there's a kind of patience we're called to as Christian people which goes beyond utility and requires us to believe in Jesus' coming. That's the kind of patience James has in mind. That's why we're thinking about Advent this time of year. We're thinking about the Lord's coming again in order to endure. So Isaiah, the prophet I mentioned a minute ago, I'll conclude with this. This is how he encourages the church. Isaiah 35, strengthen the feeble hands Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. 
gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Let's pray.